Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Julian Sink, and this is Krista Genier on Talk Show. It is Friday, August 19th, 2011. I was on um, Spingola Speaks on, with, with Deanna Sping, Spingola on um, Wednesday, the 17th, and, and I thought that was a good program. It went well. I, I, the, the format at Republic Radio it is um, makes it difficult to get into anything at any great depth. As soon as you get into a topic, it, you're interrupted for a commercial. We should, um, well, we should really thank God for talk show. It, if I had to deal with the commercials at um, Republic Radio, I would just do all my podcasts off my own chat server and, and leave it at that. But um, talk show helps give us a, a, a somewhat public face and, and um it, it's there's no commercials involved, right? So so praise God for that. Praise Yahweh for that. Tonight we're going to start with um Matthew chapter twenty four, part two. Last week we ended with Luke's version of the discourse given by Christ, which is found at Matthew twenty four, verses fifteen to twenty two. In Luke's version, we saw the exact historical fulfillment as recorded by the historian Flavius Josephus of Christ's words as they were recorded at Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 25, concerning the forecast destruction of Jerusalem by Daniel and, and by Christ. It is evident that Christ must have given a much longer statement and that Luke's record of that statement focused more specifically on what was said about Jerusalem in, in 70 AD, while the accounts of the discourse recorded by Matthew and Mark, that they relate a more general prophecy that seems to focus more on the time of the end and the time of his coming. I'm going to read Matthew 24:15 through 22. Therefore, when you should see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place, he reading must understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee into the mountains. He upon the housetop must not go down to take his things from the house, and he in the field must not turn back to take his garment. But woe to those being pregnant and those with infants in those days. And you must pray that your flight should not be in winter nor on the Sabbath, for at that time there shall be great tribulation, such has not happened from the beginning of society until now, nor by any means should happen. And unless those days would be shortened, there would not be any flesh saved. But on account of the elect, those days shall be shortened. Mark's record of these words is almost identical, and therefore it really need not be read for this program, I will include it with my notes. Let me read Luke 21 again, verses 20 through 28. But when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, then you know that her desolation has come near. Luke is referring to the desolation mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. The desolation of Jerusalem by the people of the prince. Then those in Judea must flee into the mountains, and those in her midst must leave the land. And those in the countryside must not enter into her, because these are the days of vengeance by which all things written, all things written about the enemies of Christ that would have happened to them at that time, 
are to be fulfilled. Woe to those having conceived and to those with sucklings in those days. For there shall be great violence upon the earth and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be taken captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be tread upon by the heathens until the time of the heathens, or nations, if you want to translate it that way, should be fulfilled. And that part of Luke we saw last week, we saw the perfect historical fulfillment of as the history was written by the historian Josephus. There are many prophecies concerning the enemies of God, and we see in Luke 21, 24, it's, it says, There shall be wrath upon this people, and they shall, be, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they shall be taken captive into all nations. And, and if we read Jeremiah, especially the chapter concerning the, the good and the bad figs, I believe that's Jeremiah chapter 24, we will see the exact language used in Jeremiah concerning the enemies of Christ. And I'll cover that in depth when I cover the Gospel of Luke later this year. However, when somebody wants to talk about those people in Judea, Luke 21, 24 is a very good place to go and cross-reference that back to the bad figs of Jeremiah because that's who they are. And Christ said of this fig tree in Jerusalem, there would never be fruit from it again forever. We will cover that again later in this chapter. But that's the people that are today known to us as Jews. They can never be good. Luke goes on to say in Luke 21, 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth an affliction by the heathens. And I will talk about that at length later. The sea and the waves roaring in difficulty. The sea and the waves being the people. The sea being the general mass of people in the earth. And we see that they will be causing trouble. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of that coming upon the inhabited earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud in the midst of power and much effulgence. And upon the beginning of these things happening, straighten up and raise your heads since your redemption approaches. Christians should not fear the things about to happen. Christians should know seeing them that we should be encouraged, knowing that our Redeemer is nigh. The rest of Matthew chapter 24 will concentrate on the same thing Luke's talking about in those last four verses. Luke 21, 25 through 28. While the words of Luke 21, 25 fit the circumstances of history and the fall of Jerusalem in the first century perfectly, that does not mean that they are not both applicable and foreboding as to what is happening to the people of God, to true Israel today. For Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, and Revelation, chapter 20, both draw a picture that shows the children of Israel surrounded by her enemies in the last days. When you see Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem, encompassed by armies. But neither of them are talking about the counterfeit Jewish state in Palestine. First, we must examine what is meant by the abomination of desolation. 
and then we shall further discuss Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The abomination of desolation, spoken of in the records of Matthew and Mark, as they record Christ's words here, is quite different than the prophecy desolation of Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 9, which was referred to by Luke's record. And the abomination of desolation is mentioned in both chapters 11 and 12 of Daniel. I am not going to attempt to interpret Daniel chapter 11 here, except to say that unlike most commentators, I believe it is a prophecy of the struggle between the two little horns mentioned earlier in Daniel and the king of the north in Daniel 11, I am persuaded refers to the imperial papacy where the king, and that's the horn, little horn of Daniel chapter 7, and the king of the south is Mohammedanism and the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. While the Greek of the New Testament merely says abomination of desolation, as does the Greek of most of the Septuagint manuscripts in Daniel, the Theodosian version of the Old Testament Greek has a phrase at Daniel 11.31, Daniel 11, which may be rendered, the abomination which makes desolate. But the Theodosian manuscript at Daniel 12.11 agrees with the other Septuagint manuscripts and has the abomination of desolation. The Masoretic Hebrew text in both places is translated in the King James Version as the abomination which make it desolate. Yet there are some other editions of the Masoretic text of translations in English, which do translate the Hebrew also as the abomination of desolation. So there's some confusion there, right? Whether it's the abomination of desolation or the abomination that makes desolate. And, and it seems from the Greek of Matthew and Mark and the Septuagint, the, the popular manuscripts of the Septuagint, that it's the abomination of desolation in both places. Daniel 31 says in the King James Version, An arm shall stand on his part, and he shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. I'm sorry. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. Now, no matter what one thinks about this prophecy, it is still in Christ's future, as we see here in Matthew 24, 15. Also, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 11 cannot properly be made to fit the period from the Seleucids to Nero, most of which is in Christ's past. And therefore, the abomination that maketh desolate is not the Roman defilement of the temple in the days of Nero, as many commentators have attempted to claim. It just The prophecy just does not fit that historic period. However, reading Daniel chapter 12, where it also mentions this abomination that maketh desolate, reading Daniel chapter 12 may lend us further insight into what it could be referencing. And I will read Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince who stands for the children of thy people, meaning Daniel's people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now, I believe that this time began with the Second World War, even though our people are not yet delivered. We're, we're talking about a historical process here, which fits 
the very description is Adolf Hitler. The, the, Adolf Hitler fits the very description of Michael, who tried to do the work of Christ by separating the wheat from the tares. Michael basically means, who is like God? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood two others. This one, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So we see that these times of this abomination of desolation are connected to the seven times of Israel's punishment. And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, this seems to indicate to me a forced change of religion, told in terms that Daniel would understand. The word sacrifice is in italics. It was added to the text. The word translated daily is rendered as continual throughout the Old Testament, accompanied by a word that means burnt offering, but which doesn't exist here. Here in Daniel chapter 12 and in Daniel chapters 8 and 11, the word stands alone. It just means continual. And from the time that the continual shall be taken away. The translators only assume that it is used here in connection with an actual sacrifice, but this is not necessarily so. But I believe it indicates a forced change in habits and religion. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Let me say that there are twelve hundred and ninety-one years, one thousand two hundred and ninety-one days from Muhammad's 622 A.D. flight from Mecca to the founding of the Federal Reserve in 1913. The Federal Reserve is an abomination which makes the whole of Revelation desolate, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. Blessed is he that waiteth, and comes to the thousand three hundred and thirty-five days. And let me say there are one thousand three hundred and thirty-five years, from 613 A.D. to 1948 A.D., when the artificial impostor state of Israel was officially sanctioned. This is indeed the abomination of desolation. In this period... Between 1913 and 1948, 
Over 100 million Christians were slain in two world wars, and another 20 or 30 million Christians were killed by the Bolshevik Jews in Russia. All those deaths lay at the feet of the Jews. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. The Dome of the Rock was constructed from 688 to 691 A.D., just about 1290 years after Nebuchadnezzar's first invasion of Jerusalem. This is certainly a pagan idol, which is an abomination amongst the desolation of the once holy city. There were just about 1290 years from 622 A.D., The year of Muhammad's famous flight from Mecca, and the year in which the Muslim calendar begins, unto 1913 A.D. Islam is surely an abomination which maketh desolate, and it caused much desolation in Christendom, as it still does. Adam Clark, who wrote his commentary, and this note's from Clifton Emmeheiser, Adam Clark, who wrote his commentary up until about 1831, he wants to start counting these times from the rise of Mohammedism circa 612 A.D., from which 1335 comes to 1947 A.D., but Muhammad did not start speaking Islam publicly until 613. There are 1,335 years from 613 A.D. to 1948 A.D. when the artificial imposter Israeli state was officially sanctioned. This is indeed the abomination of desolation. Malachi chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, say of Edom that, and I quote, Whereas Edom says we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom Yahweh has indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, Yahweh will be magnified from the border of Israel. Israel is certainly, that this modern imposter state of Israel today is certainly the abomination of desolation. I understand that this method is not perfect since I have different anchor dates. But these dates are quite profound, and there are no better events to look at in history for the fulfillment of these things. One may not understand the connection between Mohammedism and Judaism. But Mohammedanism is Jewish. There is evidence that Muhammad himself was, at least in part, a Jew, and that he had Jews in his company who actually wrote his so-called holy book which is actually a blasphemy of the real word of God. And there, therefore, Mohammedism is a Jewish invention. Mohammedanism has succeeded in enlisting the mixed races of the world against Christianity, and the Jew has profited greatly by it. The ancient white world in the Middle and Near East and in North Africa, along with many of the Mediterranean islands and parts of Southern Europe, have been miscegenated on account of Mohammedanism. Today the Jews still use Mohammedanism as a weapon against the West to maintain an advantage over Christendom.
Revelation chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. When I gave my commentary on a revelation, here several months ago, I stated that the ten horns represent the governments and powers which have ruled over the woman. The woman is true Israel. These numbers given to us by God through Daniel, I am persuaded, help us to identify those powers which cause the woman's desolation. While the powers behind world Jewry are behind both Judaism and Islam, and are therefore the abomination which maketh desolate, meaning the desolation of God's people, they are also the abomination of desolation, acting as if they are also God's people, sitting in the old Jerusalem, which is supposed to be, according to prophecy, a desolate city. They are sitting in the old Jerusalem, and they are acting as if they are also God's people. But the Jerusalem of God is his people come down from heaven. So they are sitting in a city which was foretold by the prophet Jeremiah to be desolate forever. And they are pretending to be God's people. As if they rightfully inhabit the holy city. But the real holy city is the Jerusalem come down from heaven, which is God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 19, it is said of the old Jerusalem that it was to be broken forever, as one breaks a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. In verse 8 of that chapter, it says, And I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone that passes thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of all the plagues thereof. What could be a greater abomination than the blood of Esau and the blood of Canaan and Cain sitting in that old Jerusalem claiming to be the people of God. Yet, in Malachi chapter 1, as we have already cited above, Yahweh has promised to destroy them. A promise repeated in other prophecies, such as Obadiah 18, where it states, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken it. Part of the Christian promise that we look forward to today. Here it is me to read from Jeremiah chapter 30. Keeping in mind... The prophecy which we have already seen in Daniel chapter 12 concerning the time of trouble. In Daniel chapter 12, we see it said that there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. In Matthew 15, 21, the chapter which is the focus of our study here, we read, 
For at that time there shall be a great tribulation such as not has not happened from the beginning of society, or the world, if you will, the Edenic world, until now, nor by any means should happen. So we see that this is connected with the abomination of desolation, which has been associated here with both the Federal Reserve and the founding of the imposter Israeli state and Islam, and the founding of Islam. These things are indeed connected. Because it was the Federal Reserve which assured the power of world Jewry over the Christian people of God in America, their most powerful nation, which made possible the defeat of both Kaiser Wilhelm and Adolf Hitler. And that was the assurance of Jewish power over white Christian Europe, which made possible the foundation of the imposter Israeli state. Because the founding of the Federal Reserve also made possible the fulfillment of the Balfour Declaration with America's entry into World War I. We have already noted that from the founding of the Federal Reserve until the establishment of the Israeli state, 120 million white Christians were killed by the Jews. Jeremiah chapters 30 and 31 are a study by themselves. Together they promise a full return of the Israelites of the Assyrian captivity, culminating with the fulfillment of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31-31. The first advent of Christ made the new covenant possible, but it is not yet fulfilled, and it will not be fulfilled until the restoration of true Israel at his second advent and removal of all of his enemies, which is the promise of Christianity. Yet before this happens, a great time of trouble is described here in Jeremiah chapter 30, and we will see that that's the same time in which we see what which we see in Daniel chapter 12 and here in Matthew chapter 24. I will quote Jeremiah 30, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, saying, Thus speaketh Yahweh, the God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For, yo, the, for lo, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. Now remember, at this time, all of Israel and most of Judah was taken away captive by the Assyrians. And by this time in history, they are called Scythians and Chimerians. I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith Yahweh, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that Yahweh spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith Yahweh, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man does travail with child. Why then do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith Yahweh of hosts, 
that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. That verse is important, because that's exactly what's happening today, and has been for most of the last hundred years. All of the aliens of the world are serving themselves of the children of Israel, the white European races. But they shall serve Yahweh their God and David their king, Christ prophesied, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear not, O my servant Jacob, saith Yahweh, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest and be in quiet, and none shall make him afraid. From these chapters, it is also evident that this time of trouble includes the events prophesied at Jeremiah 31, verses 27 through 30. And I will quote them. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man, And with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. So will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith Yahweh. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape His teeth shall be set on edge. The race mixers will be punished. Here it may be neat to recall Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8. And you are going to hear of wars and of reports of war. See that you are not troubled, for it needs to happen, but not yet is the end. For nations shall arise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these things are the beginning of travails. We can correlate this directly to Jeremiah's time of trouble. We can correlate this directly to Daniel's description of Michael standing up for his people. We have seen the most horrendous wars in world history in the first and second world wars. We have seen the murders of at least 120 million white Christians in the same period at the hands of the Jews who instigated those wars. And these things are the beginning of travails. And Christ says, for it needs to happen, but not yet is the end. With all of this in mind, we shall proceed with Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 23. At that time, if anyone should say to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall present great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they should say to you, look, he is in the desert, you must not depart. Look, in the treasury, do not believe it. 
For just as lightning comes out from the east and appears so far as the west, thusly shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse may be, there the eagles shall be gathered. Mark gives a shorter version of this part of Christ's discourse. We must remember that Yahshua is still giving an answer in response to three questions that the apostles had asked him. Number one, tell us when shall these things be in reference to his statements concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. Number two, what is the sign of your coming in reference to the ultimate return of the Christ? And number three, and of the consummation of the age, which is in reference to Christ's many statements which mention the end of the age. Concerning the rise of false messiahs, here in Yahshua's statement, the desert represents the fringes of society. Charles Manson and Jim Jones. The treasury represents the seat and powers of government. Ron Paul, Jack Kennedy. We shall not find a savior in either of these places. Christians did not experience this in the first century. And therefore, this must be referring to the time of the end. Yet, over the past hundred or so years, we have seen the rise of many false messiahs, or people, men who were pictured as saviors by the people, from men attempting to deliver their nations from the clutches of Satan and the Jews, such as Adolf Hitler, to men actually claiming to be Jesus himself, returned or reincarnated, such as Jim Jones. Therefore, this must again be, this time, this very time must again be the time which Christ warns us about. These false messiahs shall present great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And we see world jewelry does this all the time. And they do have much of the elect deceived, but not all. Wherever the corpse may be, there the eagles shall be gathered. While many mainstream commentators love to point out that the Roman legions used eagles at the top of their standards, and while that is true, the preceding clause does not describe the coming of Titus. Where it states that, for just as lightning comes from the east and appears so far as the west, thusly shall be the coming of the Son of Man. This cannot describe Titus because the destruction of Jerusalem was actually the culmination and the practical end of a five-year war waged by the Romans to put down an organized Judean revolt. Rather, we can only look forward to this statement as another promise of the coming of the Christ. The corpse is true Israel. The whore after the beast of mystery Babylon is fallen. Revelation chapter 17 and 18. The eagles are found at the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is the destruction of the enemies of Christ after the fall of Babylon. Described in Revelation chapter 19, where the last statement is that, all the birds ate their fill from their flesh, meaning from the flesh of the enemies of Christ. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. It can be demonstrated in the prophets and in the revelation that the sun and moon represent the powers of godly and human government on earth. We see the same language used in Isaiah chapter 13, which prophesied the fall of ancient Babylon. Verses 10 and 13. 
For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. It's talking about people. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Heavenly and earthly governments. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, in the wrath of Yahweh of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. We see in Revelation chapter 6 verse 12, where the prophecy concerns the fall of the Roman Empire, from the King James Version. And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So the earthquakes, the shaking of the powers of heaven, and the failure of the sun and moon are not to be taken literally, but rather describe the collapse of empirical government and the structure of society which it rests upon. To witnesses. I must address this, that there are those who want to take the statement that the powers of heavens shall be shaken, and insist that it describes a forthcoming nuclear event. I think Bertrand Camperet is where I first read this interpretation. Part of the reasoning is that the Greek word for heaven, which is Uranos, is the word from which we get the word uranium, the metal used in the manufacture of nuclear weapons. But we can see from Isaiah 13 in Revelation chapter 6 that such an interpretation is certainly not necessary. Because there were no such nuclear weapons when the powers of heaven were shaken at the fall of ancient Babylon and at the fall of Rome. The term, the powers of the heavens, can also represent God's people on earth, those people who came down from heaven, those people with the spirit of Adam. However, there is a very interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 25, which certainly seems to support Bertrand Compare's thesis. I will cite it and read it here. First, Isaiah chapter 24 is another prophecy concerning judgment upon the nations of the world. Isaiah chapter 25 is a song of praise celebrating that judgment. Here is Isaiah chapter 25 verses, verses 4 through 6. For thou, meaning Yahweh, has been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall, thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. And in this mountain shall the Lord, shall Yahweh of hosts, make unto all people a feast of fat things. This sounds like the wedding supper of lamb. A feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. This heat blast and the heat with the shadow of a cloud are certainly foreboding. Here I will read the same prophecy as is recorded in Luke chapter 21 from verse 25, 25 to 28 again. 
And there shall be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth, an affliction by the heathens. That's my translation. The Greek asserts that the peoples, an affliction by the peoples, literally nations, are a source of the affliction. The peoples or nations are the source of the affliction, and not, as the King James mistranslates, the object of the affliction. Which further indicates that the beasts which dwell among us are the major source of our troubles. There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and upon the earth an affliction by the heathens, or from the heathens, and the sea and the waves roaring in difficulty. And we see that the sea in the Revelation and in many other prophecies is used of the general mass of people, whether they be Yahweh's people or not. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of that coming upon the inhabited earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud in the midst of power and much effulgence. And upon the beginning of these things happening, straighten up and raise your heads, since your redemption approaches. Matthew 24, verse 30. And at that time the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and much effulgence. And he shall send his messengers with a great trumpet, and they shall gather together as a elect from out of the four winds, from the ends of the heaven unto the extremities of them. Mark 13, verses 24 through 27, reads much like Matthew does here. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn as the children of Israel are gathered. The gathering of the elect is the gathering of nobody but the children of Israel. As Isaiah 56, 8 says, Yahweh God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I gather others to him besides those that are gathered unto him. This is because most of Israel does not even realize they are Israel and are not even any longer considering themselves to be Christians. So they are not currently gathered to him. But Yahweh only gathers the outcasts of Israel. Isaiah 43, 1 through 6. But now thus saith Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. For not, fear not, I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. You are mine. Nobody else. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. For I am Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. And I have loved thee. Wherefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life? Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. Yahweh talking exclusively to Israel. He gave up the rest of the Adamic race. 
Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sheba were all white nations at one time. He gave them up for Israel. Gave them up to the enemy. They've all become race mixed. Look at them now. He will gather Israel, thy seed, thy children, thy offspring from the east, and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back, bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Yahweh will only gather Israel, and that's who he's talking about in Matthew 24. Isaiah 45:25. In Yahweh shall all the offspring of Israel be justified and shall glory. All of the offspring of Israel and nobody else. Matthew 24, verse 32. Now learn from the parable of the fig tree. When already its branches should be tender and it would produce leaves, you know that summer is near. Thusly also you, when you should see all these things, know that it is by the doors. Truly I say to you, that by no means should this race escape until all these things should happen. The heaven and the earth shall pass, but my words shall by no means pass. And if we read the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31, we see that the heaven and earth will pass, but Israel will always be a nation, not a church, a nation, a homogenous unit or group of people, a race. The heaven and the earth shall pass, but my words shall by no means pass. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the messengers of the heavens, nor the Son, except the Father only. And I will discuss verse 36 further on below. Mark 13, verse 28. But you learn from the parable of the fig tree, when already its branches should be tender, and it would produce leaves, you know that summer is near. Thusly also you, when you should see these things happening, you know that it is near by the doors. Truly I say to you, that by no means should this race escape until when all these things should happen. The heaven and the earth shall pass, but my word shall by no means pass. But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, neither the messengers in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Luke 21, verse 29. Then he spoke a parable to them. See the fig and all the trees. When already they have cast forth, seeing it for yourselves, you know that already the harvest is near. Thusly also you, when you should see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of Yahweh is near. Truly I say to you, that by no means should this race escape until all these things come to be. The fig tree. The fig from which no good fruit would ever again be produced. Found in Matthew 21.19. That's the only fig tree that this could possibly be referencing where Yahshua said, you learn from the parable of the fig tree. There, the fig tree in Matthew 21.19 was representative of Christ's missions to Jerusalem. And it says, 
And when he saw a fig tree in a way, he came to it, and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away, such is the old Jerusalem. And all those who have their heritage in it, the people whom we know as Jews today. There can be no good Jews. There can be no Jews for Jesus. Because Christ himself told us that no good fruit would ever come from there again. The good Jews and the Jews for Jesus are only Jews with motives, seeking to even further deceive and defraud unsuspecting Christians. At verse 34, Christ exclaims, Truly I say to you, that by no means should this race escape until all these things should happen. The popular translation of the word meaning race is generation, and this verse is nonsensical. Because Christ is predicting things that would happen both at the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years later and also at the end of the age many centuries later. The children of Israel were made to wander in a desert for 40 years so that none of the original transgressors would have to see, would live to see the promised land. And so we cannot expect this passage to be referring to a generation which would be assured of living that long in order to see something Quite the opposite. Their punishment for disobedience. The enemies of God think they could prevent their ultimate fate, but they will not. Nobody will escape the judgment of Christ, and here is an assurance that the race of the Edomite Jews will certainly face his wrath. Matthew 24, verse 37. For just as the days of Noah, thusly shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as they were in those days before the deluge, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the vessel, and they did not know until the deluge had come and all were taken, thusly shall be the coming of the Son of Man. In Revelation chapter 20, we see that Satan, the adversary, which is world Jewry, deceives the hordes of Gog and Magog to come against the people of God. These are the world's other races, who are all the tools of Satan. And history proves that over and over again. Just look at the first hundred years worth of directors of the NAACP, or at least 60 or 70. They were all Jews. In Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, the enemies of God come under cover, which is the pretense of immigration, in, in, in my opinion, like a cloud covering the land to surround the people of God. That's the picture drawn by Ezekiel. In Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 through 30, we see that the house of Israel and the house of Judah are sown with the offspring of beasts. In Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 9 and 10, Speaking of the ultimate regathering of Israel, we see the invitation to, and I quote verse 9, All ye beasts of the field, come to devour. Yeah, all ye beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. 
They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs that cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Ezekiel 56, verse 9, chapter 56, verse 9, is talking about the same thing that Jeremiah 31, verse 27, is talking about. The sowing of the house of Israel and Judah with the seed of beasts who come to devour us, who have already surrounded us. The invasion of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 has already happened. At Joel 2.25, Yahweh promises the children of Israel, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the Arab, the cankerworm, the Negro, and the caterpillar, the Asian, and the palmer worm, perhaps the Jew. And Yahweh calls them, my great army which I sent among you. So we see in all this that we are already surrounded by our enemies, that our would-be conquerors are already here, and that all of this is indeed permitted to come upon us as a test from Yahweh, our God. All of these end-time prophecies converge in this understanding. That is how a great war could be waged against us, while at the same time Christ says that just as the days of Noah, thusly shall the son of, coming of the Son of Man be, for as they were in those days before the deluge, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. We are in the midst of that war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 right now, and our people do not even know it is being fought. Such is the Jewish world order of political correctness, multiculturalism, and diversity, which is all tantamount to world communism. We are fighting this end-time battle now. We're just not fighting it with guns or swords. At that time, two shall be in the field, and one shall be taken and one left alone. Two shall be grinding grain at the mill, one shall be taken and one left alone. Here I shall read Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 28, from the American Standard Version. And the nation shall know that I am Yahweh that sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. The nations may be perceived as the other Genesis 10 Adamic nations, but may just as well be the very nations of Israel that Paul supports this later interpretation. I'm sorry. The nations in the Ezekiel 37:28 may just as well be the very nations of Israel. Paul supports this later interpretation where he applies the prophecy found at Genesis 12:3 and elsewhere to the nations of the children of Israel and to nobody else, where he says in Galatians 3.8, And the writing, having foreseen that from faith Yahweh would deem the nations righteous, announced to Abraham beforehand that in you shall all the nations be blessed. The entire context of Paul's letter to the Galatians allows for the inclusion of only those nations which descended from Jacob to be admitted here. Matthew 24.30 refutes the teaching of the rapture as related by the mainstream churches. If one is taken, one is in trouble. If one is left, one is blessed. 
because the tares are gathered first and thrown into the fire. As happens likewise to the bad fish in the parable of the net. One should want to be left behind and to be a part of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, as all Christians should pray that the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the Christian promise, that the kingdom of heaven come here, not that we somehow magically get taken up into heaven. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, you must be alert. Because you do not know in what day your prince comes. But know this, that if the master of the house knew in which hour of the night the thief comes, he would have been alert and would not have allowed his house to be dug through. For this reason, you also must be ready, because you cannot determine at which hour the Son of Man comes. Luke 21.34 Now watch yourselves, that at no time should your hearts be weighed down with hangovers and drunkenness and cares of life. And suddenly, the day should come upon you like a snare, for it shall come upon all those sitting upon the face of all the earth. But you be watchful, at all times making supplication, that you would prevail to escape all these things which are going to happen, and to stand before the Son of Man. We saw above in Matthew 24, verse 36, that it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the messengers of the heavens, nor the Son, except the Father only. This is why Paul, as well as the other apostles, always taught that the coming of Christ at the end of the age and the end of the age were immediately imminent. Because Christ taught them to act in that manner. The fools and the pretenders who claim to know the date of the end of the world are just that, fools and pretenders, Mr. 2012. It does not matter if they understand 90% of the Christian message correctly. They are circus freaks and they are not Christians. Christ says bluntly here that you cannot determine at which hour, meaning at which time, the Son of Man comes, and you do not know what day your prince comes. The teachings of the apostles show that they all understood this in the same manner, that we cannot know when he shall return. We cannot know when the kingdom should be restored to Israel. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And I quote, when they, were, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he, meaning Christ, said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put into his own power. What is it that is so difficult for so many so-called Christians to understand about that? Mr. 2012. The statement that not even the Son, Christ himself, should know the day or the hour of his return is, I believe, exemplary. While many manuscripts omitted the words, not even the Son, all the earliest extant manuscripts attest to them. 
if he, meaning Christ, cannot claim to know the day or the hour, how could anyone on earth possibly know the day or the hour? Why do they make themselves out to look like fools with predictions of dates and times? And in that manner, they try to make us all look like fools. They're just idiots. Perhaps this is one issue upon which we could gauge just which of those people claiming to be Christians actually believes Christ and which do not. So forget any of the extant lies told about December 21st, 2012, and any other date or any of the other foolish imaginings heard from false scholars and false Christians such as Hal Lindsey, Harold Camping, and other like fools. Mark thirteen thirty three. You watch, be wakeful, for you do not know when the time is. As a man traveling abroad has left his house and given to his slaves authority for each his work and orders the doorkeeper that he should be alert, therefore you be alert. For you do not know when the master of the house comes, whether late, or at midnight, or at the cockcrow in the morning, not coming suddenly, he should find you sleeping. And that which I say to you, I say to all, be alert. Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom the master is appointed over his household, for which to give them food at the appropriate time? Blessed is that slave whom having come, the master shall find doing thusly. Truly I say to you that he shall appoint him over all of his properties. But if that bad slave should say in his heart, My master delays, and he should begin to beat his fellow slaves, and should eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that slave shall come on a day which he does not expect, and at an hour which he does not know. This is how the Jews act. And he shall cut him in two and set his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We should all be doing whatever we can for the edification of Yahweh's kingdom and Yahweh's people. If we are found so doing, we shall have all the more reward. If we deny his coming, we shall have all the more punishment for ignoring his will. If we would only love our brethren, the kingdom of God would begin to materialize around us. That is all I have to say about Matthew chapter 24. Thank you for listening. I hope I was understandable. Praise Yahweh. I'll be back next Friday with Matthew chapter 25. I will be here tomorrow night with Don Spears, a good friend and an ex-Baptist preacher, 30 years, who's now Christian identity. We'll be talking about his journey from there to here, and that should be interesting. Praise Yahweh. Thank you.